Hello everyone, hopefully you know the drill by now. I'm Shivali and I'm here with my co-founder, Danielle. In today's podcast, we are going to be interviewing Dr. Bent, a DMP and a CRNA at St. Christopher's Hospital for Children in Philadelphia. She is also a lecturer and program administrator at the UPenn School of Nursing under the Biobehavioral Health Sciences Department. Whoa, 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 Shivali, that was a lot of words and some pretty big ones too. Regardless, we are so excited to hear from Dr. Ben and how she advanced her nursing career and continued her clinical practice, all while teaching students at a university. Now, don't forget how fascinating it'll be to hear this expert speak on her medical journey and her personal opinion on the current pandemic. But don't forget to stay till the end to hear her own take on her segment, What's Your Heights? Okay, enough talking from us. Let's hear from our guest. We're so happy to have you with us today, Dr. Ben. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, anytime. This was um, a good opportunity. Thanks for having me. Of course. Of course. Thank you so much. So before we start with some of our other questions, we just wanted to ask you, how are you? How has quarantine been treating you? Any new activities, hobbies, or anything else you've picked up? Wow. So quarantine has been very interesting. Um, (laughs) It's quite an adventure running an anesthesia (laughs) program from a distance, but you know, Absolutely. we're managing and we're doing well. We started a new cohort in um, in May, so that was good. And the students seem to be doing all right. New hobbies, uh, figuring out technology. <laughs> that's, my, <laughs> that's my, like, mainstream hobby right now. Uh, but in all joking aside, um, it started dabbling in a little bit of, you know, Spanish. Like, things that I've always wanted mm. to do and just, you know, when you're at work, you kind of forget about it or don't go on the app. And so I've kind of reverted back to doing that in like a half hour a day I'm not very fluent uh so I won't even tell you any of the, the words or phrases that I know right now so. but other than that everything's been going pretty smoothly or as smooth as I can expect it to go right now Absolutely. Yeah. I think in terms of technology, I think Shivali and I both had to adapt and adjust even with our podcasts instead of having them live. We've had to go virtual. I think, I mean, at some points, in some retrospect, I think it was a blessing in disguise because we can have speakers from all over now. I mean, Philly is not a problem or even across the country. It's been, I think, a blessing in disguise, really. Oh, yeah. I would agree with you. I would agree with you. It broadens your scope on things that you want to do. So that's great. So we wanted Uh, you to take us to the beginning of your professional journey so of course you are a CRNA so why did you end up pursuing nursing and did this interest develop at a young age or perhaps through a personal experience? So interestingly enough I come from a family of healthcare providers Um, my grandmother god bless her soul she was a nurse when she was alive and I have a couple aunts who were nurses and uncles who worked in the healthcare industry as um, one was a radiology tech and things like that. So it was always of interest to me, um, probably from the time I was in middle school, at least, and definitely high school, I always wanted to work with kids. And I was looking, oddly enough, at my senior book. Um, So I graduated a long time ago, 1986. (laughs) But I was looking at my senior book a couple months ago, and it said, oh, where would you see yourself in five years, 10 years? And one of the (laughs) things I said in my senior book was, I'm either going to be a child psychologist or pediatric nurse, which was funny. So (laughs) that's where my interest developed as a as a nurse. And so you know, I just kind of went with it. I graduated high school. I don't know how far back you want me to go or what detail, but, you know, graduated high school. And um, like most high school graduates, I was like, "Ah, do I really even want to go to school right now? I'll take a year off or do something like that. And I worked for a chiropractor. And then I was like, you know what, Dawn, you always wanted to 
be a nurse. So why not pursue? And Mm -hmm. I went to Temple University for my bachelor's degree. And um, Mm -hmm. after that, I worked at Medical College Hospital, which is no longer in Philadelphia. But I worked at Medical College Hospital for a year. And I finally was able to secure a position at St. Christopher's Hospital for children in their intensive care unit, which was what I really wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I worked and had just a great career. I mean, I was a preceptor, you know, I was a charge nurse. I was all of those things. And one day, one of the doctors that I worked with, he said, you know, Dawn, you should really go back to CRNA school. And I'm like, first of all, what is a CRNA? Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) And um, he's like, you need to come to the OR with me and just, you know, follow one of our CRNAs around. And, and I said, okay, I'll do that. And so I went to the OR with him one day and, you know, watched them intubate patients and watched just the flow of surgery and what the CRNA actually in charge. And I was like, this. like just the level of knowledge that they had, I was very intrigued. And so after that, I decided to pursue a career, you know, went back to Temple. So now Temple and Pennsylvania Hospital had a program together. Mm-hmm. And so I, mm-hmm. you know, applied for school, wasn't sure if I was going to get in. My BSN GPA was not the best. I do tell students that when, even when I am interviewing them sometimes, just so that they know that sometimes your career path in the beginning is not solid. And so you think that's kind of it for you mm-hmm. and you may want to mm-hmm. pursue other avenues and you think you can't because you're like, oh my gosh, my bachelor's GPA was only this, or, you know, I'm not competitive, mm-hmm. but you really have to sell yourself because a lot of times it's about the human aspect of it and not just the grades that are on a piece of paper, you know? So mm-hmm. I went back to school. I got into CRNA school and it was a 27 month program. And that's what I did. And I graduated from that program in May of uh, 2005. And at that point, I thought that was it for me. And I was like, no, you better just get your doctorate degree. Because I knew that at some point, degree for CRNA. So I went back to Duquesne University in Pittsburgh, actually. Mm -hmm. And um, I pursued my DNP, so my doctorate in nursing practice. And that's kind of where I am. That's awesome. So, and it's great to yeah. hear that you had like a support system and a family of nurses. And you're actually, did you grow up in Pennsylvania? Are you pretty familiar with it? I mean, I was born and raised in Mount Vernon, New York. And then I moved to California when I was seven. Mm-hmm. I w- grew up in California from the time I was seven until I went to Temple when I was 19, 19 or 20 years old, I went to Temple. So but I know, I mean, I've been here for a while, so it's been over 25 years. So I know a lot about the state. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And of course, you continue to advance your nursing career, whether it was from a bachelor's degree to then a master's and eventually a doctorate level. So what really pushed you to do this? And of course, were there any challenges or obstacles that you had in your way? Yeah, I mean, I think there are always challenges to anything that you want to pursue. Um, I can't necessarily pinpoint like, oh, my gosh, this was an obstacle or this was an obstacle. But Mm -hmm. I feel like just, you know, everyday life sometimes can be a challenge and pursuing Mm -hmm. another educational degree and working and a family. So a lot of times like trying to balance those things. I remember when I was doing my doctorate degree, there were times where, you know, have my kids right now are. 13, 15, and 21, but of course they were much younger. And I just remember having to make sure everybody was all situated with what they needed 
so that I could get on the computer and like take an exam, you know, because everything was proctored on the exam. And I'd go, is everyone all right? You're good. You're good. You're good. Yes. But inevitably, you get on the test and somebody needs something, you know, and you're like, you're you, my husband would say, um, okay, you all need to leave your mom alone because her head is going to explode right now, you know, stuff like that. So mm-hmm. you, you just have those everyday obstacles. And I feel like if you can prioritize them correctly, mm-hmm. then it doesn't seem like the big giant mountain standing right in front of you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of course. And you're mentioning your kids. So were there any sacrifices that you had to make along in your own um, sort of journey as a mother, whether it was like, I, I remember Shivali and I had a guest speaker who was mm-hmm. an OBGYN um, medical professional, and she was telling us about how she could never go to these school activities, whether it was like muffins with mom yeah. or like Monday morning coffee with teachers. So were there any similar situations that you were in? Yeah, I think as a mother and a working mother, we all kind of have those same experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things that I was literally very blessed with was that my kids from a very young age, they didn't have the expectation of me being there all the time. Mm -hmm. So that kind of worked Mm -hmm. to my advantage. Sorry. That worked to an advantage because they recognized that, yeah, mom cares about us. Mom loves us. But, you know, we have to traverse this by ourselves today. And that was actually fine. You know, it was almost to the point where once they were in third and fourth and fifth grade. And I'm like, Oh, you have a field trip. You want me to go? They're like, why would you go? You know, like, what are you doing? (laughs) So it, it worked out to a great advantage. You know, as they got older, they were in sports and things like that. And I was able to manipulate my schedule enough so that I could, you know, take them or, you know, take them to practice or pick them up. And it was just enough where they developed that level of independence and not needing to be with me all the time to me feeling like I'm not just kind of throwing them out there to the world too early, you know? Yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And um, switching gears a bit, you are also a program administrator and lecturer at the University of Pennsylvania under the Biobehavioral Health Sciences Department and the Nurse Anesthesia Program. So what led you to take on this opportunity to teach at the school? Uh, And was it different from something you've done in the past? It was completely different. So I, I always tell my students, like, just keep saying yes to any opportunity. You will figure it out later. Just say yes and (laughs) and decide on how you're going to do it another day. It's fine. Um, Mm -hmm. But when I was, I, like I said, I was a student at uh, Pennsylvania hospital and temples nurse anesthesia program. So my assistant program director at the time, Dr. Mag, um, well, she's not Dr. Magro now. She's Dr. Van Pelt. She asked me to you teach a class. Can you come and teach a class? Just do a little simulation with the students. And I said, sure, of course I'll do it. You know, rearrange my schedule. And that was back in like 2006 or 2007. And what started out as volunteering for SIM, again, led to teaching a class, which led to co-course directing a class. And subsequently, she pulled me on to be faculty at a very part-time, you know, experience. And it was just enough for me. I've been at University of Pennsylvania, like I said, as a part-time faculty since about 2008. And I saw, you know, just a lot of things, people come and go. And and I was very happy in my role as a part-time lecturer and faculty. And, but I just kept saying yes to the opportunities that were presented to me. So Mm -hmm. in, I guess it was 2018, was when I was asked to be the program director. 
for the program. Mm -hmm. And like I said, oddly enough, I was like, wait a minute. I like being a clinician. Like this part-time thing was great. Mm -hmm. And now you want me here full-time? Okay, let me think about this. So (laughs) my biggest concern at the time, and I talked to the chair of the department, I said, well, what's going to happen if I don't take the position? And they were going to start a national search for a program director. And when she said that, I thought, I can't leave the students in the hands of somebody else who just doesn't know them intimately. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So with that, I decided to take the position as a program administrator for the um, for the nurse anesthesia program. And I haven't looked Mm -hmm. back. So it's a good (laughs) thing. Yeah. And I think I love the motto that you said, just always saying yes to these opportunities, like regardless of when or where they're presented. I think that's a really inspirational way to go about living life. Yeah. And you mentioned yeah. that. I mean, I would mm-hmm. encourage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And since you, that's an amazing motto. And I think um, you being involved in the medical field, what advice would you pass on to your students? And what advice would you give to those who are looking to pursue something in that area? Um, for somebody, I'll start with that. For somebody who is looking to pursue, um, get as much hands-on opportunity as you can. Shadow somebody in the field that you think you're most interested in. Read up on it. You know, know the leaders in those areas because you can learn a lot from reading about a person, uh, just like you can learn a lot from seeing hands-on what that person does. Um, my students specifically, since they are already nurses and now they're just pursuing a high Uh, to be a CRNA, um, I always tell them, seek out the people that uh, have things to offer to you and that you can offer to them. And oddly enough, it's not always going to be the person that you think it is right away. Um, Make yourself available. That's another thing that I tell my students as well. And be, be a leader. And what being a leader is to me, not necessarily does it mean having people that follow you, but you want to lead people to be leaders themselves. And it was funny, I was thinking about that alone this morning and um, you know, I was on Twitter and I saw a quote that I posted to Twitter today that said, if you're, it said something to the effect of, you know, if you're leading and you just have followers, so are you really leading? No, because leaders actually create more leaders. Like that's mm-hmm. your job, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so my students know, I have very high expectations for them but they also know that I will go to bat for them if they find themselves in a position that they don't want to be in or anything like that. So I always try and make myself an advocate for the students that are in the program as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I think especially what you're saying about leaders, it's show what you preach and all this sort of um, empowerment and being the leader yeah. in this sort of day. So I think that's really inspiring that you're doing that and especially setting this absolutely amazing example for not just yourself and your family, but your students as well. Thank you. Thank so, you. So again, switching gears a little bit, could you tell us a little bit more about what exactly a nurse anesthesia program is? And essentially, what do you teach the other students? Now, granted, you said they're already nurses. So to some extent, they already know um, the details, but is it more of a lecture, a discussion, or any sort of type of that path? Yeah, so a nurse anesthesia program, what is it? It's probably three years of the most rigorous education that you would receive in nursing. Um, maybe nurse practitioners would argue with me on that one, but it's okay. Mm-hmm. Everyone can, uh, you know, advocate for their <laughs> profession. But in our program, you know, like I said, our, our students come in and they're already critical care nurses. So mm-hmm. 
when they come in initially, they learn the basics of anesthesia. What actually is anesthesia? What does it look like? They learn about all of the medication that we would give uh, to a patient, you know, through the continuum of their lifetime. So from a pediatric patient all the way through an elderly patient, Mm -hmm. because they would have to take Mm -hmm. care of those um, patients. Um, We teach them, like I said, anesthesia pharmacology. We teach them um, about the OR environment itself, monitoring. Oddly enough, we teach them about electricity and electrical currents and chemistry. And Mm -hmm. our students learn about advanced um, principles of anesthesia. So how am I taking care of a patient that has lung disease or an endocrine disorder? They learn all of those things over the course of the three years um, that they're there. Um, We tend to run a couple simulations for them each semester. So we simulate a case. So we run various simulation sessions for the students. Uh, They could be four or five a semester per cohort of students. And the students will learn about different cases that they might see. We try and stick to the ones that they are going to see frequently or different disease processes that they might see frequently, just so that they have a hands-on experience Mm -hmm to start developing that muscle memory as far as Mm -hmm. how to deal with certain situations Mm -hmm. in the operating room. So, yeah, so it's, it's fun. The students get, they learn a lot. I think they get a little nervous in the beginning because, you know, they're coming in, it's almost like a performance (laughs) because we're behind a, um, a glass screen and they're like doing all the things and we're manipulating Mm -hmm. the vital signs on the monitor. And so it's a little scary, could be a little intimidating, but they always leave it with such a great experience and they, uh, tell That's us that wonderful. as well. And I think hands-on experience is important. So glad that they have access to that. And um, of course, uh, yeah, it goes without saying, obviously, with quarantine going on right now, um, obviously things have changed. But how did a day in your life look like as a nurse practitioner and a faculty member at Penn before um, quarantine and before the whole pandemic happened? Um, so I could tell you about uh, my the day in the life of each. And so they're going to be independent of each other. So um, as a CRNA, as I, you know, head to the hospital, usually I'm up by about 530 in the morning because our ORs will start around seven. Um, So I leave my house, go to, you know, go to work, obviously change into scrubs because you're not allowed to wear scrubs in the OR that you've worn into the hospital. Uh, We get our cases. Most times I would have a student with me um, that I would be precepting for the day. So the student has been there since a bit earlier than I, they set up the room, I checked their room set up, and then the student would go Mm -hmm. see the patient. Um, Typically, the patients will be anywhere from, I don't know, a premature infant, that's like a 27-week infant, all the way up to maybe a teenager or early 20s um, patient, depending on what kind of surgery they're having. So we just run the gamut of different cases that might come in, maybe ear, nose, and throat cases, could be orthopedic cases, general surgery cases, urology, GYN, um, but very few GYN, especially for the pediatric patient. Um, You know, in the OR, I'm responsible for the airway management of each patient that comes in. I'm responsible for giving them an appropriate amount of analgesia for the case, and then making sure that they wake up, obviously, Um, safely and bringing them to the recovery room to be reunited with their parents. So that's, in short, a typical day of being in the OR Mm -hmm. as a CRNA. Um, As far as school and what my day might look like, uh, typically Monday through Wednesday are lecture days for our cohorts. I teach a lot of the classes in the beginning. So a lot of the basics of anesthesia 
And um, then, of course, pediatric anesthesia is a long series that we do in the spring for the students. But so when I, you know, it's a little bit, um, a little bit more low key. I don't have to be up at 530. Um, I report to work typically between 830 and nine o'clock. And my day starts out as checking emails and making sure I haven't missed Mm -hmm. anything. Uh, Our classes run from nine for three hours. So nine to 12 or one to four. Um, usually I will teach, uh, in the morning and I will see students, you know, sometimes they just have to run pop by my office cause they're missing something. I'm responsible for being a mentor to at least three to four students, each cohort. We have three, three cohorts of students. So I roughly have about nine to 12, mm-hmm. um, mentees making sure that they have developed care plans for their patients that they are going to see in clinical Um, that their clinical evaluations are, you know, on par with their level of expertise or level of experience as a student. Um, I meet with my program coordinator, me and my assistant program administrator have such a great relationship. It's we're like right and left hand of each other. So I couldn't do a lot of things without her. So we'll sit and strategize. I have a giant whiteboard in my office and we are like, okay, what do we need to tackle today? So that's kind of what my day is. Um, as a program administrator, of course, with things sprinkled in between that might come up that I have to take care of. But that's basically what my day looks of like. Course. And um, you mentioned like uh, people that like relationships and we just I know you mentioned like your family and having um, a bunch of nurses and people involved in the healthcare field. But what woman do you specifically mm-hmm. look up to not only as mentors, but also someone you can just go to for an advice or has had an impact on your life? Oh, wow. I honestly 100% would say Dr. Van Pelt. Um, She was my assistant program director Mm -hmm. when I was in school. And I can send her a text at any time like, oh, my goodness, what would you do with this? How would you do this? Mm -hmm. What are you going to, you know, and she's always got that encouraging Mm -hmm. word. She's like, honey, you got it. You're good. This is what you're going to do. And I'm like, oh, okay, okay. You know, so she is absolutely as far as a professional, my, they, it gets no better than her. She is 100% dedicated to people. Um, yeah, I, I honestly would not be where I am without mm-hmm. her guidance. I think that's awesome. Yeah. And I think, like you were saying, have that, having that someone who's just like your right hand in life is just so important. And I think yeah. that's really how Women at Work has started out because Shivali and I, we were so close. We were <laughs> friends. And like, I would just go to her for mm-hmm. everything. I, yeah. mean, I was texting her at like 1 a.m., 2 a.m. <laughs> for literally anything, whether it was like school or just reassurance or advice. I think just having that person and having that woman in your life is encouraging, empowering is just so important. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. We, I mean, I, I, I just always think that women need to stick together. It's so important. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you, you talk to people and they're like, well, I don't know if I can do this or I don't know if I can do that. I could tell you right now that anybody, any younger woman who is in my life, I'm always like, as soon as they have an idea, I go, oh my gosh, you got this. You're going to be great. You know? And it's sometimes just that little encouragement that they need in order to say, you know what? I can Mm -hmm. do this. And it it feels Mm -hmm. good, you know? Mm So you're absolutely, absolutely. right. Absolutely. And always having that pick me up is just so um, comforting and just so nice to have in life. I think it's really important to have that. Yeah. But you also touched on this idea of 
I mean, of course, quarantine has completely flipped our lives upside down, whether it was for us switching from school to virtual (laughs) school or for you going from um, coming into class and now doing it online and I'm assuming via Zoom. But you also touched on this idea of staying home. So have you been staying at home mostly or has it been still you going into work and hospitals and all of that? Oh, no. So as far as clinical is concerned, since the hospitals, um, they weren't running at full capacity. Um, I haven't been at the hospital for a couple months now, and they are starting to pick up. So I anticipate that that will change for me. Um, Even with the University of Penn, when we went to online it when they meant online they meant Mm -hmm. everybody so no one was stepping in the building (laughs) they wanted everybody to remain safe and so you know we all kind of hunkered down at home and set up office at home too so that's Mm -hmm. kind of where we've been and right now just sort of preparing for what the fall semester is going to look like absolutely and um you touched on the subject of safety first and of course that's the most important thing whether that's at school or at work so um just switching a little bit to this current pandemic and this new rise of cases right now so um as a medical professional we just wanted to see what your opinion was on this if you had any insight to share or anything along that route uh so my opinion on it is um is that in order to remain safe or even get through this, like we have to listen to the Mm -hmm. professionals, you know? Um, I feel like sometimes we get too involved in um, these are taking away from my rights. I want to be here. I want to go here. I don't see why I have to wear a mask. Like all of these things that we don't want to do. Well, sometimes things that are going on in the world are kind of bigger than us as Mm -hmm. individuals. And we need to look at it like that. So my, you know, my take on everything is I'll do what is asked Mm -hmm. of me if it's going to even save one person, Mm -hmm. you know, and I feel like if we all have that mentality that what what I'm doing is saving one person, well, if we each save one person, then guess Mm -hmm. what? You've got this, this large amount of people that are being Mm -hmm. saved. Um, You know, it's, it's hard uh, to switch gears. I feel like for people, especially that are, you know, need to be out and about. I, I characterize myself a bit as an introvert. (laughs) So it doesn't really bother me all that much. I'm like, man, you know, I've had my, my fill of people today and I'm Mm -hmm. good, you know, but I feel like just as a healthcare professional, we have, we again, have to be an example, you know, like how, how would it be if I, you know, took liberties to say, well, I'm going to go here and I'm going to fight people when I get to the store because I don't want to wear a mask in the store Mm -hmm. or whatever, you know, it could be Mm -hmm. anything. And then I call myself a healthcare professional who you kind of go into healthcare because you want, you want to take care of people, you know, that's kind of your ultimate goal. So I feel like we just need to be more cognizant and set the tone as far as, you know, what is required from everybody. Mm -hmm. But most importantly, like, we have to listen to those people who have studied mm-hmm. things. Obviously, you, you probably have seen on social media, too, everybody's become an epidemiologist <laughs> or a public health, you know, um, a public health professional in this mm-hmm. pandemic. But I, I have to listen to people that that have been there before that have, you know, done research on on these things and just kind of trust that that process that they're working through is is going to work for at least most people Mm -hmm, absolutely and I completely agree with you on the fact that you were saying that this issue isn't just about one person or us getting um like school taken away from us or sports it's so much bigger than one issue it's truly bigger than life and it's not just an issue that's plaguing the USA it's truly just 
taking on the world. So I think I completely agree right. with you on the fact that if our healthcare professionals aren't following these rules, then who do we really turn to and look for as setting an example during this time? Exactly. Absolutely. And um, switching gears a bit, we talked a little bit about the pandemic, but generally um, in your professional career and sphere, have there been any defining or impacting moments and you know, whether that be on campus or in your practice, anything that you look back on and are proud of? Because I'm sure you are proud of a lot. Uh, yeah, I think my most uh, defining moments just all around were are when I can make an impact on uh, future practitioners. Um, I, I remember specifically when I was a nurse in the ICU that the third year residents nominated me for an award um in the hospital and ba- and I was like oh my gosh that's so cool you know like okay but like after I re- I actually received the award I was like wow this means so much because it was an award from our third year resident uh physicians and they gave it to a nurse in the entire hospital that they felt like added most to their education as a resident mm-hmm. and I was like Okay, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. and um, then a couple of years ago, I also teach uh, a couple of the anesthesia courses at LaSalle University. Um, I'm very good friends with their program director. So he has me come there to teach like basic pharmacology and pediatrics and things like that. So his students had their graduation a couple of years ago and they gave me an award for the preceptor of the mm-hmm. year. And I was like, this is really, you know, this is what it's about. It's not about me as an individual receiving an award, but it's about what the future of the profession thinks about me that I have given back to them. So that those are the two, um, those define, those are the defining moments that come to my mind immediately. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it was great learning about the ups and downs of your journey and your professional journey, whether it was going from bachelor's degree to now a UPenn lecture and just a huge inspiration to everyone around you, whether that's your students or your family. But we just really want to say huge congratulations. And it was so amazing learning about your journey. But we like to end off these podcasts by really yeah. challenging our speakers and ending off with something that has become our golden staple. It's called What's Your Fight Song? So to give a little bit of context and background, Rachel Platten wrote a motiva- motivational song back in 2015 called Fight Song. I'm sure you're familiar with it. But we want to ask you, Dr. Ben, what is your mm-hmm. quote-unquote fight song? What motivates you? What empowers you? It can be a song, a person, activity, just really whatever you'd like to share. Uh, my motivating song is by Alicia Keys. And it's this girl is on fire. I think that it, yeah, I just feel like it embodies what just females need to think about themselves. Mm -hmm. Like you, like when I started this journey as a program director, like I said, my assistant program director, Dr. D Donato, one of the things that we would always end a text with is we got this, we got this. (laughs) And to the, to the point to where we got shirts made that said, we got this. And I feel like that song just embodies just that female drive. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you're on fire. Just keep moving. Keep going. You got it. Mm -hmm. So I would say that's my song. Yeah, and it's (laughs) great that you love a song that um, highlights female empowerment. And you're such an inspiration. We learned so much from you today. And generally, our listeners will be so happy that you came on and talked about professional career and the pandemic and everything. It's so great to hear your perspective. 
And we just wanted to say a huge thank you oh, for thanks. speaking with us today. And yeah, it was honored to have you on here. Awesome. I was I was honored that you reached out to me. So thank you again. And you you know you both are doing such great things. It's you know, just keep moving, keep doing it. Awesome. Thank you so much again, Dr. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Women at Work. This was Danielle and Shivali. See you guys next time. Thank you.